Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello. So we're back, emerging bleary-eyed into the light after a month of relative quiet on the football front. As we warned on the last pod, it went from zero to 60 very fast, but it somehow felt back to normal very fast too. Sat on the sofa, eating turkey, drinking the rest of the Baileys, watching the Boxing Day games. It felt a bit to me like you know, sinking into a warm bath again, albeit this being FPL, a warm bath with a toaster plugged in, teetering on the side of it. We are Who Got the Assist. I'm Tom at WTA underscore FPL. Lucy is my usual co-host. Uh, she is at Lucy Hynett with two Ts. She's not available today because she's away with family. So friend of the pod, Adam Pritchard at Free Five Who, known for being Arsenal's correspondent on Planet FPL, who was last on in lockdown, actually. So a long old time ago, um, has kindly uh, said that he'd step in for this one. Great to have you on. How was your Christmas? It was very good, Tom, and uh, thanks for having me on again. And there's uh, there's no one I would rather be sinking back into this warm bath than with you. That's an interesting way of uh, of, of starting <laughs> the pods, just giving people a visualisation, especially those who know both of us, just having a warm bath together. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, excellent. Um, and yeah, we should probably get into it. So on the pod today, I think it's just a quick amble, I suppose, through the Feast of Football that we saw so digesting it. So it's going to be nothing too strenuous on this sort of first pod back after some action. A slow jog or even just a walk rather than a fast-paced dissect of what's gone on with a few stopping points on the way through. First thing to do, though, is just talk about the outcomes for this week just gone. We, we're recording on Wednesday 28th of December, quarter past 10. So Man City Leeds has just finished. First question to ask, Adam, how did you get on and how's your season been going to? Um, I mean, I'd rather not talk about how my season's been going overall. Uh, it's been quite uh, quite a poor uh, quite a poor season so far. I'm currently ranked uh, according to Live FPL at 2.2 million, which obviously is nowhere near where I'd like to be. I'm blaming most of that on a poor start and a, a somewhat naive assumption that I could finalise my team on a uh, runway as I landed back from holiday on, uh, in Spain. Mm. And starting without Gabriel Jesus uh, did not go quite as planned and saw me plummet down the ranks in the early game weeks. Thankfully today, I've got 88 points, which has seen me get a green arrow, although I'm sure, uh, I'm sure as we were discussing before we started recording, 
going on Twitter, we'll see plenty of people uh, with over 100. So, so yeah, this game week has been a, a rare positive in in, in a season of uh, of pretty pretty bad weeks um, so far. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, as you know, it's been the opposite for me. Um, it's, it was uh, a good bit, a little bit better than you. Ninety three for me. It, it's very rare that I'll say I've been hard done by getting a score in the nineties, and that definitely makes me feel even more of an ingrate than I did writing that note. Uh, but I do like. So I think I'm a few points light here, Adam, on a few players uh, in terms of what uh, how I kind of did. So a key return is obviously tri- I Trippier, Robertson, Mikey differential uh, with an assist and free bonus, which was very nice. Uh, across my midfield, uh, Saka, uh, who was my main sort of differential against the third uh, third forward uh, with a nine points, Marcinelli with the eight, Almiron with the eight, uh, Rashford with a nice 14. Up front, obviously, Haaland tonight's got 26 uh, with the captaincy on it. But I had Ramsdale in goal because um, he did one penalty uh, from West Ham that offered precious little otherwise. Um, got the save point and probably could have matched Kepa to some extent if, uh, if that penalty hadn't been given. He's not very good at penalty so I didn't expect to save that uh, Liverpool lapsed concentration which saw Robertson concede KDB this evening went with him over um, Salah in the end because it should have had five assists in the first half like Definitely. it was ridiculous absolutely ridiculous I was saying before we, we came on like I was more animated in that game than I was watching Arsenal on Boxing Day which probably just shows the way FPL has gone <laughs> for me now and then finally of course Darwin flipping Nunez like oh We'll talk about him later on. But yeah, all, all in all, um, all right. I'm into the top 50k now. Um, so modest green arrow, something like I think it's about 12, maybe 15 percent actually, um, from 40, 56k to 47k, which is you know fine. It's just one of those things where you're kind of kind of thinking to yourself, oh, you know, it, it would have been a much bigger arrow if those other things went my way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And I suppose one of those things uh tonight did go my way because I started with Kyle Walker and genius that i am i uh, left almiron on the bench so i have his eight points tidily coming in for me very nice as, uh, as walker was a no-show very nice it was there was a lot of sort of negative tactics going on in my mind at least when i was watching the games like you know, little things like uh, lead scoring that moved the text uh, again maybe i shouldn't be looking at live fpl as much as i should as, as i was especially this evening where i was, seemed to be hyper engaged with it but like lead scoring that moved the safety score down. So it increased my green arrow from like 1K to 9K or whatever it ended up as. And yeah, a few other things, if they'd gone my way, you know, if that forest goal had stood, for example, um, those people, I know, I think you've got Shaw, haven't you? Like, you know, him um, not getting that clean sheet would have been quite good for my mini leagues. You know, those little things like that. Um, but hey, you know, Cancelo coming off the bench meant that I saw loads of people who had benched Trippier, um, which was unfathomable to me. So I didn't look at FPL Twitter really over Christmas. Um, and uh, I, I none of that sort of process of thinking that seemed to have been going on uh, mass hysteria you might term it had had really touched me so yeah um, I, I was quite uh, I, I would say I feel sorry for people who have had their Trippier 12 points are blocked but in, in some ways I'm, I'm really not <laughs> sorry um, any, any gambles you took so I've, I've mentioned a few of mine and I'll kind of just voice over them again in just a second but is there anything you did with your team in terms of setup like obviously Luke Shaw doesn't count as a massive gamble but is there anything that you did which you know, was perhaps against the grain uh, when you set up after Christmas? I think probably the biggest gamble I took was not going with uh, a Liverpool attacker. So obviously 
Darwin Nunez, and as you've already mentioned, we'll discuss later, was certainly in the uh, FPL Twitter zeitgeist. And a lot of people I know had sort of returned to the uh, the warm, uh, woolly jumper of owning Mo Salah in midfield. I decided to go against both of them, um, opting for KDB as my main premium midfielder and choosing to go with Harry Kane up front, actually. Um, mainly because I felt as I think you might have said on the pod a couple of times uh, previously, he'd been so consistent yet seemingly overlooked in the wider discourse. He just seems to be ticking away pretty regularly with points. And so I thought mm. I'd rather have that uh, that steady Eddie kind of player up front as, as opposed to someone who seemingly is the complete opposite in Darwin Nunez, who you really have no idea what you're going to get week to week. Um yeah, I'd say probably that was my main gamble. I suppose also going without Cancelo, uh, if you ignore the fact that he didn't start tonight, is probably a pretty big gamble. But then I have Kyle Walker, <laughs> who also didn't start tonight, um, but offers that kind of City fullback uh, coverage. So there's a little bit of mitigation on on that one. No, fair play. So you, you went for the freemium sort of route then, KDB, Holland, and, and Kane. Yeah, yeah, I think there's just there's enough value to be had elsewhere uh, in midfield that certainly makes that more viable at this stage of the season than perhaps it seemed uh, in those opening weeks. Yeah, and you took a lot of money out of defence as well, by the sounds of it, um, to make it all sort of fit together. Interesting. I mean, I went for free sort of. I did go for KDB over Salah as well. Um, I was surprised how comfortable I was feeling about that. And to be honest, Yes, I know Salah got a tap in and got an assist. Um, but you know, watching KDB tonight, I I feel kind of that's luck, or as some people would put it, variance that KDB didn't come through. Um, but there are a few things, uh, three three things I think that I I expressly did, um, which I felt were kind of I, I would constitute gambles in goal where I'm going to start glamorous. So I did Ramsdale in goal over Kepper. Because I felt a backline of Rambo, then Trips, Cancelo, and Robbo was a solid four, which I just forget about until my final wild cards played. And as I mentioned earlier on, you know, the penalty for Ben Rama, I think that was West Ham were pretty abject going forward. I think that was the only sort of real moment of threat. Um, and you know, that that was a bit unlucky. It didn't go my way there, or at least that that penalty was given. Um, but still, I, I kind of still believe in that. Although, I, obviously, I'm going to have to look at potentially some Chelsea defensive cover because I'm going to see Kepa's ownership rising. Uh, second thing was Saka. I went there over a third striker. So increasingly, I felt after doing last week's pod, and I was like, oh yeah, Mitrovic, of course. And um, I thought about it a bit more and I felt that leveraging my team value over that Mitro spot was a good idea, like going for an 8 million midfielder because uh, market for general was all over them rather than going for, you know, a, a Martial or an Enketia. Both of them, of course, scored. Um, but I did, and uh, timestamps on my on my uh, transfers in now show it, and actually moved Mitro out for Saka before the Silver Press Conference. So it wasn't that kind of that decided it, but of course, it did have sort of a, a nice sort of um, it rubber stamp that, I suppose. But yeah, yeah. Saka over the first striker. And obviously Mitrovic, because, of, and we'll speak about him in a little bit, that because Marco Silva's presser, um, his effect friendship was like 8% in the top 100k. And that could have been you know, a massive gut punch if I'd have gambled against him. And you know, given what he scored, it was a goal and two assists, wasn't it? And yeah. finally, Robertson over James. 
got very lucky there, of course. Um, but equally, I just didn't fancy James with his injury records and also the close proximity of Chelsea's games. I know it looks really high anxiety now, but that he wasn't in the picture for me on the last pod. And I spoke about why it wasn't in my team on the last pod. So I have recorded evidence of this. It's not me sweep, <laughs> swooping in and being like, ah, look at that, look at this. Thank you, Captain Hindsight. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Any regrets um, in, in what you kind of ended up with? Because obviously there was loads of, different sort of things that ran for everyone's head uh, as we get, got close to that Boxing Day deadline? Yeah, I think probably my one regret, and I don't even know if I can necessarily call this a huge regret, is the fact that I went for Trossard over Rashford. I'm still not entirely, <laughs> I'm still not entirely sure in myself I have a kind of concrete justifiable logic for going for Trossard other than that I think the fixtures are decent enough to warrant giving someone who has looked so impressive so far in the Premier League a little bit longer mm. uh, in my side to kind of justify his place. And I was 50-50 in a striker position between Nketiah and Martial and Arsenal's slightly tougher fixtures sort of pushed me towards Martial. And I thought, do I really want to be going up, going with double United at this stage? And that wasn't something I was particularly uh, particularly convinced to go with. So I ended up sticking with Trossard and obviously Rashford kind of continued his excellent form that he showed uh, that he showed a little bit before the World Cup break for United, but more so really impressed for England, I think, in the World Cup and uh, has kind of continued with, with a renewed kind of vigour in his performances. So I think that's probably my main disappointment. Otherwise... I mean, when you score high 80s, like I did, and like you were saying, you're scoring into the 90s, it's, it feels a bit like you're pulling out the miniature violin anytime you have too many regrets, really. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, maybe, you know, arguably, I think it was Ramsdale and Estupinian is what I went with. I could have gone for, you know, White and Kepper and be up a little bit more and maybe, you know, Kepper and having that Chelsea defence cover may have been a better thing to do. But I, I still believe in that kind of solid four in the back. Um, and the idea is that, that that just stays now and I don't have to worry about my defence for quite a while. But hey, you know, one of the things that will happen uh, as time progresses where I'll keep reassessing that. So let's start on our kind of slow constitutional amble through what happens. A mini-league update will occur uh, in two weeks' time, geez, um, because uh, the game has just finished updating and live FPL is being very slow. And so I'm not able to get to that at the moment. Uh, so let's just do our constitutional walk instead. Um, and chat about a few salient points thrown up by FPL already uh, this first week. So I think the first thing was that across the board, it was it was quite an interesting week because basically the entire smorgasbord of popular picks returned. And hopefully that relights engagement um, because we saw you know, that a lot of people getting a bit disenchanted by how templates it all was as we ended uh, for the for the World Cup. But I do think as well, the gap between those who follow content and don't is becoming bigger and bigger. Um, do you think this is going to continue? And did you find it interesting that, okay, there's still going to be you know, seven or eight players in every team and everyone's going to own Haaland, which I'll speak about in a sec. But did you find it interesting that people were coming out with all these different selections? I think so. I suppose, for example, I think the example of Kepper is quite an interesting one because I'm not entirely sure outside of the uh, the Twitter ecosystem how much he would really be too highly considered. And I think that leans into the uh, the content creation advantage, perhaps. Um, 
you could term it. I think his, at least near my rank, uh, according to Live FPL, his effective ownership is under 7%. And it felt like on Twitter, everybody had, uh, or everyone was at least considering bringing in Kepa. And I think that is perhaps indicative of the fact that maybe less engaged in air quotes or however you want to uh, term them, players weren't listening to FPL podcasts last week and going into this first game week. They had enjoyed the World Cup uh, break like everyone else and had only just realised the Premier League was starting again uh, mm. a few days ago. So I think I think perhaps at least initially there might be that uh, advantage, if you want to call it, where we are seeing some more of the kind of Twitter popular picks um, doing quite well. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think there's there's always, you know, of course, it's always that you've got, say, you know, 20 or 30 players that are truly in the mix for FPL managers. Um, and even though there were kind of a, a few sort of content creator influence tweets uh, players i still think it was nice to see that sort of sense of variation across all the game in three or four spots i mean before you were really looking at for example looking at effective ownership this time i think there were only a couple of real threats to me as in you know, getting the skull of being over 35 percent effective against me which were you know, salah and kane um before the break i think there was about five or six players each week and I think that you know what that does, interestingly, links with Haaland's effective ownership is it, I think, as you kind of touched on, it opens frontiers of attack because you can take a look at what everyone else is doing and how people are being led to think. And unfortunately, people are led to think. And I was definitely a victim of this for many years. And I'm sure I still am in many ways. But you can try, you can either spot something the herd has missed and go for that, or you can find a way to counter it. So things like, as I said, going against the third, uh, the third uh, forward that everyone seems to have done. Um, and for me, going with Saka. And I think a lot of this is tied up in that kind of continuing EO vacuum of Erling Haaland because. He, that just hoovers up a lot of the rank threat and it's led to a nice situation actually where it is gains across the board but that's coupled with an ability to not lose rank if you don't own if you cover off the key men so you know the, the rank threats like uh, Almiron or something like that just getting a player like that in and forgetting about it if you play those sorts of things but are able to differentiate elsewhere. It opens up, I'd say, maybe you know, spot number nine to eleven on your team for differentiation, as opposed to just being one spot, as it seemed to be at the back end uh, before we went on the break. I think that's quite good, don't you? Yeah, no, and I think it makes it a little bit more enjoyable. And certainly, at least amongst the people I talk to about FPL, you can have, like you're saying, sort of six or seven different players in a squad and both can look equally good and all perfectly justifiable and it does make it feel certainly for someone like myself who's kind of stuck in uh, the two millions makes it feel like there are gains to be had if I go against perhaps the more templatey picks which I suppose I sort of have done a little bit with my side it does make it feel like uh, climbing up the ranks are more achievable than when we're stuck in the sort of time of the template and it just feels impossible to gain ranks at all. Yeah, maybe it's just the case of a slight opening, a slight little chink of light at the moment, which enables individuals like yourself to get a move on. Because, you know, I've heard lots of really good stories this week of 
people, you know, being able to get a hundred, hundred plus uh, through a couple of picks, or maybe just through picking the template correctly. I don't know, uh, but being able to exploit that enhanced differentiation potential, which is out there. And I, I really hope that does continue. I think maybe double game week will focus minds in a couple of weeks uh, on the, in new in the new year uh, but for now and hopefully for next week as well and talk about much later transfers and captains but i think we're going to see a lot of rolling behavior going on i think it hopefully will be quite a quiet week uh, for a lot of people hopefully for me uh, i should say he'll be quite a week a week a quiet two days and um, so maybe we'll kind of see that change and people start as converge on you know obviously a few chelsea picks etc etc but at the moment um yeah i i think that it, it was quite a nice return to fpl to see that apart from Holland, who was luckily not over 200 eo i think he was but 196 um the capacity to gain on every single one of my players so that's a really nice thing rather than kind of being like oh well you know I, I don't i don't want this guy to do anything even though i own him there's not i don't think there's much worse um there's not not a worse feeling in fpl than that actually uh, than having a player in your team that you don't want to score it just feels very counterintuitive uh, to what i enjoy about my players doing anything in this blasted game um Speaking of which, I think something that was that kind of did catch my eye. Um, as I said, I, I, try, I studiously avoided FPL Twitter just to avoid confirmation bias and avoid kind of herd mentality and things like that um, just on Boxing Day and on Christmas Day because, you know, I had stuff to do in real life. Um, but one thing that did surprise me was that there did seem to be a bit of a lack uh, in arsenal and newcastle players and those are teams that i've seen i, I had a browse from in the leagues before this and it, it was it's, it's definitely quite striking um that a lot of people seem to have divested those teams uh, goops asks for example with arsenal assets now fixture proof now we spoke about form being quite a contentious matter on the last pod so you know we we're asking do we trust when people say oh you know he was in good form before the international before the world cup break and we don't know um but you know we saw Arsenal and Newcastle continue to trundle on from where they left off. And obviously it's just one game. We could find that that kind of drops off, but I was a bit surprised um, that these assets weren't as owned to any, anywhere near the extent they were before, especially in the engaged quote unquote sector or segments of the engaged sector. I was shocked to see Trippier had been discarded by many, for example. I mean, what do you make of all this? Do you think people did chuck the baby up the bathwater a little bit on Arsenal and Newcastle in favour of, you know, the fixtures when it comes to teams like Chelsea? I think there's certainly a case of that. And I also wonder how much of the fact that we just had unlimited transfers to play with. And so people felt, if I stick with too much of the same team, have I kind of wasted the opportunity to make unlimited moves? I, I think a certain amount of that might have played into things, but I, I was very surprised, certainly, to see people move away from Trippier. I suppose the Martinelli case, a lot of people had invested when he was uh, at his starting price and could make sort of a healthy profit off him. So maybe from an attacking perspective, you're thinking, oh, well, I'll I'll cash out now and perhaps I'll move to someone like Nketia in the striker positions where maybe there are less viable opportunities um, for for a differential there. But yeah, I certainly think um, when when seeing people move away from the likes of Trippier, Martinelli, who have been proven assets so far this season for for very good value, I, yeah, I, I just wonder if there was um, 
a little bit of a little bit trying to be too different perhaps there in those cases yeah and obviously there's the element of the analytic side of things which was for and, and you know that they these people were one reese james injury away from triple uh triple clean sheet but there were the analytics uh side of things which were propagating a triple chelsea defense and maybe kind of moving away from newcastle the idea that their um that their performance wasn't sustainable i just to me that just felt like a, a i'm not I don't know how I put it without sounding like I'm hating on them because obviously I, I do agree with um, understanding uh, like the role of stats and I'm a positive but I'm automation positive as it were. Um, but I did feel like there's an element of an abdication of personal thought in in looking at those things and going along with it because I noticed that loads of loads of these teams are the same and you know, they are there's a, definitely this idea that oh you know there's you know these these kind of people who just don't look at data don't look at stats don't look at analytics and just go with the eye and there's a whole herd mentality around that but it just it seems that effect also occurs in this space as well and obviously in general like the balance between past outcomes and fixtures was a really tough one to judge because as, a, as we saw last week when i looked at um project restart there's not really a precedent for what we've seen I can understand by that juncture why people went all out sword, but it did feel a bit excessive in places, and it is about balance. Like I didn't think, for example, and I you know I'm I'm one of uh, the most cynical Arsenal fans out there. We, we've got we've all got to have our cynical badge and gun, don't we? But I, mean, I I didn't ever think that we'd suddenly stop being good. Like I know Mark said last pod, you could have zero, one, two, or three Arsenal and have justifications for all of it, but. Some of the teams that I saw, you, you mentioned selling Marcelli, for example, and going about in the Arsenal altogether. It's, it, it just seemed like the balance was a bit off. Uh, that's me putting it diplomatically. And it, it was great for the game of FPL, but I, I just wasn't sure about that sort of decision making. And, you know, I, I, I think um, we, even though the first half we didn't play great, I kind of felt at no point on Boxing Day that we were in a position where we were gonna we were gonna you know come away without a positive result, right? Like I I didn't see a discontinuation or a broken line between how we performed pre World Cup to how we performed on Boxing Day. Obviously that's just one game, but I mean I think that I've still got reasons for optimism and hey, you know, I backed it with with having Marcinelli and Saka and Ramsdale. What did you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you and seeing so many people sell Martinelli. I sort of haven't really seen the herd mentality question so much since Johnny Depp's lawyers took the stands. But, you know, sometimes people feel the need, like I was saying earlier, to to get that little bit of differential when someone like Martinelli is is owned quite highly now. And I think we can kind of, we can almost forget that he... He started at such a low price, and obviously, I think now he's probably over sixty percent effective ownership. I think, um, and the fixtures perhaps are what people were mainly basing their their opinions going into this next section of the season off with the the massive unknowns about how the World Cup layoff was going to affect things. And obviously, I understand as an Arsenal fan, I'm going to be slightly biased towards thinking 
our players uh, are decent assets, certainly when we're performing so well. Um, but yeah, like you say, in, in the West Ham game, uh, and you touched upon it earlier, I think the goal was uh, fortunate if I'm if I'm being diplomatic. Um, and yeah, I Arsenal in the form that they're in at the moment, even when they're a goal down, they don't play like they're a goal down. They don't play like there's that pressure mm. on them to go and win. They play with a sort of a, a certain freedom, I think, that makes their attacking assets uh, pretty enticing to own. We've got our Arsenal back. Um, yeah, <laughs> God, United behind the manager. Anyway, um, yeah, but I, I agree. And I also kind of, obviously, there, there's the counterpoint where you can say, well, Saka score from his only shot. So therefore, you've gotten very lucky there, Tom. And Marcelli obviously um, perhaps didn't show too much end product apart from the goal. So you can say that that was just pure luck. Um, but I, I think that just watching the game overall, I think was it Saka was uh, one sort of brush of the ball away from having a brace. Like you know, a lot of these things are very much things which are going to come out a bit more as we go further into uh, the second more than half of the season. And I, I guess in general, Adam, like I'll hear your thoughts about data in a sec, because like I'm kind of treating data at the moment with a bit of caution. It's like you've got two bits. You've got this one kind of sizable chunk of data, which is cooled. Like it's, it's not frozen. It's not last season's data. It's not away in the freezer, but it's cool. You know, it's in the fridge. It might be reheated or it might be eventually just not eaten. And we've got one hot bit of data, aka what we saw this week. Now, I'm not really too sure yet how much I can read into this week, but I do think that the enduring quality of Arsenal and Newcastle, um, Newcastle as well, very imperious against Leicester, was that was reason to not throw the baby out of the bathwater, especially with when it came came to the case of Trippier. I didn't really understand going against that, given the propensity for towards bonus, uh, the the creativity as well, and the, those two things uniting, making into a really really good player. Um, I might be wrong, um, but I just didn't feel like that was a move. And I mean, I note with irony um, and. Should I pretend there's some sympathy? Um, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of people who have maxed out Sol, uh, Sol Trippier for Reese James now can't buy Trippier back because he's 0.1 million more expensive than James is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things um, where it, it just felt like the balance was slightly off. And I think that even though I'm a little bit sceptical of using the data that we saw before, there is some sort of ineffable sense of qualitative understanding that meant that I, I wasn't willing to give up on Arsenal and that's not me being a biased fan that's just me being an FPL manager and it, the same with Newcastle I'm sure most people did stick to stick to Trippier stick to Almiron but yeah that's an interesting thing to know I mean uh, data wise uh, where are you with it are you going to be consulting uh, you know FB ref and all this sort of thing or is it very much a case of um waiting for it to accumulate again because i'm i'm just 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 quite unsure about how we use it at the moment well certainly i'm going to be taking anything i uh glean from fb ref with a massive pinch of salt now they've switched uh underlying uh stats providers but um <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say get the pitchforks out um yeah i think uh, similarly to you i'm looking at data perhaps to as a supportive measure for my decisions which is probably the wrong way to use it at the moment but I don't think I'm going 
to look at the uh, underlying stats uh, to be the sole and the primary decision maker when I'm making transfers at the moment. Obviously, there are some aspects um, of kind of certainly from an FPL perspective, uh, points getters that carried over like the Newcastle players that we've been talking about. But then again, we look at Leicester, who seem to be a little bit more solid with uh, Valt Face coming into that defence and Danny Ward was viewed as uh, suddenly the next uh, Gigi Buffon, um, <laughs> and that that clearly didn't uh, that clearly didn't carry through. So I certainly think early days there's still a little bit of an unknown around how that World Cup break is going to certainly over the medium and longer term affect uh, so many players whether they played or whether they didn't. So I, I think yeah we still need to take um we still need to take that data with a pinch of salt for sure. Right. I mean, if underlying stats aren't the thing, maybe we should apply that idea to a live issue and see what our thought process would be. Now, admittedly, this is one that we're objective on because neither of us actually own the man in question, who is of course Reese James. Um, shock horror, another injury. Um, I ignore completely, um, and you ignore completely. It seems like he's out for a month, really. And just to kind of do a quick market forces, it's no surprise that he's... Um... Wait, hang on. No, oh, Gabriel Jesus is still being sold the most. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Put out uh, on, on the day after his birthday. Um, 300,000 managers have seen enough of Jesus and have sold him. Um, but yeah, Reese James, I, I'm assuming of the live core, has been sold uh, by the by the second most, so 100, almost 170,000 uh, sales out for him. And it's Kurt Correa, who's actually the top transferred in defender at the moment. Elsewhere, you know, Mitrovic and Tony had a price raise last night. Uh, Mitrovic almost 300,000 managers up. Uh, Tony, 162,000 managers. What a chance of that. And uh, in midfield, uh, you've got the likes of Rashford, Almiron, Odegaard, all being bought, and your man Trossard. And Madison, who's been ruled out by Rogers uh, for the next game, uh, being sold. And Wilson, too, uh, being sold because he missed the last game due to illness and may well miss another game. Uh, Eddie Howe did not sound sure. So seems like Reece James out for a month, a uh, really passive aggressive message on his Instagram, hinting at some frustration about the setback. Obviously frustrating for him. And uh, given the listening of the uh, injuries had recently, perhaps it was rushed back too quickly. Who knows? But many a heart was broken in his pre-60 withdrawal in the Chelsea game. Uh, Noly got in touch and asked for replacement ideas, adding Gurr. And Mitchell Sterling uh, asks if we use this as a way to finance the pre the freemium, as so many are sleeping on Kane. Let's go for Noly's question first, because I think we've sort of discussed Mitchell's question, but we can embellish that a little bit more in a bit. Uh, but replacement ideas, Adam, or how you play it, obviously it doesn't affect either of us, so it's a bit of a tough one to really kind of get to grips with. But nonetheless, um, what would your approach be? be here would you be looking to replace would you be looking to kind of roll it and get more information if you've got no it's all very team specific we know that but uh, from the outset what would you think you'd do i think given james's injury history and at least it so like you said judging by his instagram uh post and the other kind of murmurings that are out there it seems like it's not going to be a he's out for the next game, then back uh, the game week after kind of situation. I think I'd certainly be looking to sell. In terms of replacements, I'm not entirely sure whether I'd go for another Chelsea defender. Chilwell's return timeline is sort of nebulous as it always is. 
Um, and I'm not entirely sure how attractive that Chelsea defence will be without Reese James and with a number of their key midfielders still still absent. So in terms of replacements, look, if you were, um, I don't want to say foolish or naive because that sounds condescending, if you were um, one of those who got rid of Trippier, uh, I think that's probably the obvious route to go back to. Perhaps if you can't afford him, even going for someone like Botman or Shaw, they're the kind of reliable, cheaper assets that will allow you to um, put more money into the midfield and attacking spots. I've, I've got Shaw, so I, perhaps it's easier for me to recommend him. But I think United in general look a much improved team to the uh, side we saw in those kind of opening four to five fixtures. So I think perhaps there are opportunities there. And and then the likes of Robertson, who, um, who got an assist this week, obviously unlucky to perhaps not return more, I think you could say. There's there's an opportunity if you want to keep some money in the defence and you can afford him. I think that's certainly an option uh, that is worth considering. Yeah, I mean, uh, he would be my... Uh, I own him, <laughs> so he'd be my first choice. <laughs> but yeah, obviously, like, very small effects of ownership. But the overall ownership at the moment is about... I think it's hovering about 8%, something like that. So really not... the 6% even, so really you know, not a bad pick at all. If you can get there, of course, uh, free bonus in last game. Should have had two assists, really. Darwin flipping Nunez. And... And the lack of concentration, as I said, was the only reason I think Liverpool conceded to Ollie Watkins. No Madison for Leicester next. So I know people are saying, oh yeah, I'm not sure I trust their defence yet. But nonetheless, I think that's probably okay. I mean, I, I wouldn't bet against them keeping a clean sheet against Brentford. Someone might. Um, and Brighton and Chelsea, yeah, okay. I, I can see why there may be a few sort of questions there. But he's back and looking great, I think. And he's got that licence to go forward, shown by the average position map. So he was more advanced than Trent. Right up close to Oxlad as well, who said, interestingly, that he was playing a more withdrawn sort of wide midfield role in manager parlance subsequent to the game, and a huge differential. Um, if you want to do look at, if you want to look at any data, he's third for XA amongst defenders, second for XA per ninety, and he's got that bonus potential plus on corners and free kicks. Woo! Uh, but of course, that's if you can afford. Um, elsewhere, a couple of things would kind of spring to mind. So, um, no, Cresswell at West Ham. Yes, West Ham been poor, uh, but Brentford, Leeds, Wolves and Everton are next four. So there should be opportunities of clean sheets in there. On corners too, a real favourite of Nick, uh, once of this parish. And we'll be returning to this parish soon, actually. And uh, other than that, maybe a like a Ben White or a Dunkarest opinion at Brighton. Just getting that sort of character in, as Adam said, having that money to redistribute elsewhere and just saving yourself a transfer ahead of possible or probable upcoming doubles. Um, so that could be the way I go. I probably agree with you on the Chelsea defender, to be honest. Like uh, Maybe it's me with a poor experience earlier this season with Kukurea, um, but I I bought him and then kind of the next week I sold him for Reese James straight away. Um, I just feel like it, it's, it doesn't fill me with too much excitement. And yeah, I agree without Reese James, that defence... I, just, I don't see very much there apart from Kepper and it's a bad defensive double for Chelsea I know people will kind of always say oh I can't help but love a double game week but it's not the best double defensively for Chelsea yes you know you, you'll get two bites of the cherry or whatever but you've got Man City and you've got Fulham with Mitrovic looking monstrous and then you'll be saddled with a player you don't want anymore who could just well return two to three points it just doesn't seem worthwhile for, for me to be paying you know 
five-ish or whatever. Like, if you're a sucker for the sucker for the doubles, just buy Issa Diop or something like that at four point three. Like, obviously, it depends what your team looks like, but you know, I I'd probably be looking at a Ben White, Duncan Restipini, and and just kind of. trying to look ahead for the long term and if you have one of those players already like a dunk or white that you've bought in initially i wouldn't actually mind rolling this week if you you're probably going to have to absorb not 0.1 million drop sorry but i wouldn't mind rolling this week have play white and then see kind of what the situation is next week i mean all of those things seem like all right ideas to me And, but it, it doesn't really feel like, unless you can get Robertson, that I'd be rushing to go anywhere else. I mean, do you think that's fair? I mean, would you be looking at just getting, you know, as I said, one of those players who's got a potential double game with lace down the line uh, for your replacement then? Yeah, I think I'd certainly be more likely to go that way than opting for another Chelsea defender that really feels like you're just kind of going there, like you say, because of the double game week rather than anything else. I think my temptation would be to move Reese James on now. And I feel like he's a highly enough owned player that it might be a few price drops uh, if you continue to hold him too long. Certainly, like being an England player, his injury is going to be more widely broadcast than perhaps kind of other players who are less well-known. So I think you you could be likely to be seeing a couple of uh, like 0.2 million maybe price drops, who knows, um, before, before he's next available. So my temptation would be, considering it feels like there are relatively kind of few other major problems amongst the template picks or amongst the pool of template picks that we were discussing earlier, I, I would be tempted to kind of jump on the opportunity to to replace James, I think. Okay. All right. Well, I said the market looking at Kukurea, 70,000 transfers in. And then after that, it is players we've mentioned. So Shaw and Robertson both at around sort of 40,000, Trippier 37, and then Yaman Shah as well. So you know, quite a few sort of players who are in the mix from those players that we've spoken about. Obviously, it depends where your team is. I just get Robertson and try to just lock down the spot. If you can't afford that, get a doubler in the future, like a white, like a a Brighton player if you don't have an Arsenal defender you might as well just get white because at the end of the day you're probably going to need one eventually especially if we do have doubles but yeah um, I can see why it's annoying that's for sure um, but no, it's just one of those things where I felt for people who had gone with James but I didn't for the reasons that they most people who were reacting to that said that they should never have gone with James so hey there you go and this question that Mitchell asked about you know, financing the freemium uh, with many sleeping on Kane like Again, with Kane, it's just one of those, isn't it, where the guy just keeps returning, annoyingly, Adam. Um, and was was that what you said it earlier? Um, is, is that a way? Is that something you're going to be trying to keep sort of enshrined in your team for the foreseeable future to have that set up? Because no, it's it just kind of it seems like one where if I could cover it off easily, like if Almiron I could cover it off easily, that's fine. But with that, with Kane, it's one of the things you've got to sort of slightly reorient. Could that be an option for people with the money they release from Reese James? I certainly think it it is. And the main reason I went with Kane is I wasn't hugely convinced by the alternatives, I suppose. Obviously, there is the option uh, to go with someone like Mitrovic or Nketiah 
uh, or Darwin Nunez as um, as that other striker. I just think Kane has shown himself to be incredibly consistent this season, and I wasn't too concerned by the yeah uh, the kind of speculation that oh the the penalty miss in the World Cup will will distract him, it will play with his head, and he won't be the same player when he comes back. I think Kane has shown him uh, shown himself to be one of the kind of most determined and dogged players in the Premier League since he sort of broke through into that Tottenham side and. In terms of covering off, I think Kane is probably the hardest player, one of the hardest players, certainly, to cover off. I don't think you can get near his points potential with the alternative, certainly from what we've seen um, from Human Son this season. He he looks a shadow of his previous seasons and the lack of fluidity in the Tottenham attack makes a player like, even a player like Perisic, um, and someone like Kulisevsky, certainly less appealing to me. And that kind of all combines to make Kane quite a, quite just a very reliable pick. And I don't feel worried that I'm going to have to sell him on anytime soon. If And that allows me more kind of freedom to make um, perhaps slightly riskier choices around the edges of my team. Just having that player who... I feel can be relied upon week in, week out to to return. It just raises the floor of your game week, doesn't it? A hundred percent, yeah. And and that's that's something that again, maybe I overlooked a little bit. I mean, I didn't mention him in my regrets. Um, <clears throat> maybe because I'm sort of hardwired this season to just ignore Kane and assume that I'm gonna, you know, it's like being Leicester and starting a goal down. It's it's very much like that with Kane. So, you know, I'm I'm not gonna be able to get hold of him anytime soon. That's for sure, but maybe it is one that I need to think about, especially um, you know, in wildcard too. Because if you keep scoring, you're going to just see this kind of slow attrition to the rank as his ownership. Unless he scores like a hat trick, I don't think you're going to see people kind of buy him quickly in a big spurt. You'll just see like a slow sort of movement to him over time, um, and maybe that's just something that I'm going to eventually have to try to cover, especially if I do end up kind of ascending even further. But it's definitely really interesting, and definitely kind of this could be a way that you start to build towards that um, if you took James down to someone quite cheap. Whether you'd be able to you know, drag the freemium out in the next couple of weeks is a different question. I very much doubt people would be able to do that because I think it's, it's very much about how you set up, and I don't think anyone sets up big at the bank or big at the bank enough to get a cane straight away, but still definitely somebody uh, who's worth mentioning as part of a freemium, given, as we've mentioned, the ridiculous consistency uh, that England's captain does provide. Um, speaking of consistency, Mitro, the Citro with Mitro. Uh, we all got mugged off by Marco Silva, didn't we? Well, I did because I, I decided to, to get rid of him before that. But I mean, surely he's a must-buy before long. Most shots in the box um, amongst strikers, the third most shots on target amongst strikers, the most heads of the temps among strikers, seventh for non-pen XG in the entire league as well. Um, I mean, it can't be long, can it? And we've already seen the market forces before he becomes a major rank threat. Yeah, I, th- I think we're definitely going to be entering that territory soon. And certainly with the double game week for him on the horizon, it's as, as someone without him, I'm almost a little bit annoyed that Martial um, returned this week because that spot there, I've kind of primed up to switch to Mitrovic. And unless he picks up uh, that kind of 
sword of Damocles yellow card that is hanging over his head at the moment. Um, I, I'm going to find it very, very difficult to to resist him. Certainly, as he mm. he he certainly shrugged off the uh, the championship striker, uh, the sort of modern day Serbian Cameron Jerome uh, tag that some people were kind of uh, attaching to him at the start of the season. I mean, I think that this is definitely something. Uh, I think there's some that Lucy mentioned as well. Today when we we're talking about, you know, our teams and how we'd eventually set up on Boxing Day morning. Um, admittedly, I was lying in bed feeling incredibly hungover. So I think my my responses were, okay, sounds good, great, thanks. Like, <laughs> just also also because I was just I was pretty hungover. And um, yeah, she was definitely saying about the you know, structure being really important to her, and she was finding it difficult to get up, get away from that structure. And I'm sure with me being set up as three five two. Um, three five two, three five who? Hey, in the right place. Right name. Um, yeah, but um, I mean, uh, with me being set up that way, that would be something that people would say. Hang on, that that's kind of you know why maybe I stopped the three four three because people would say, okay, well I've got Martial, I've got and then Ketia, I take a short term punt on him. Now Mitro's in, and that's definitely going to be something I have to think about. And obviously, my a part of my sort of thought process was, hey, you know what? Hothead Serbian, yeah, he's going to end up getting that fourth yellow, fifth yellow card sometime soon. Um, but yes, uh, definitely a bit of a monster this year. Um, I think we said at the start of the uh, start of the season that you know there was this kind of characterization of him. Maybe I was um, a bit more skeptical at the start of the year, but uh, you know a lot of the work that had been done by let's Dara, uh, your correspondent uh, colleague, uh, at Planet FPL, were saying you know the team is all set up to service him. We've seen that this year, but. The Fulham team is remarkably different from the ones we've seen in the past in that it's all set up to service Mitro. And that's being borne out in his data. He's just incredibly good um, as, as an FPL asset at that price. Uh, one of the very few strikers, apart from Ivan Tony, um, who is, kind of, I guess, drawing our attention up front. Uh, but there is one other player who has drawn our attention up front, and that is Darwin Bloody Nunez. Um, FPL Janino asks, can Darwin cover Salah? Um, obviously not on this week's evidence in terms of outcomes, Adam, but overall, you know, riddle me this. Would you rather have an FPL asset who gets a lot of high XG chances but doesn't finish or an FPL asset who doesn't get many chances but scores low XG chances across the board. Which one would you prefer? The guy who's getting loads of chances but can't score or the guy who doesn't get very many chances but you know, t- finds a way to score every now and again? I th- Perhaps I'm slightly biased in this one because when sort of the uh, the first stirrings of FPL was starting up again after the World Cup, I think uh, I posed to you and uh, a couple of other people I, I've never known a player to go from sort of donkey to grand national winnings, like racehorse faster <laughs> than Darwin Nunez. It felt like in the few days people started logging back on to FPL, they had been hypnotised into getting Darwin Nunez. Such was the, the zeitgeist behind oh, his pick. It's From, um, from red, red bum to red rum. It, exactly. Um and he certainly made a bit of an ass of himself uh, in uh, the fixture this week. And I, I suppose a lot of it is what you're willing to put up with. If you're watching the games, the fact that he obviously gets a lot of high XG chances is obviously good from a data and a probability of scoring points perspective. But 
it is incredibly frustrating to watch. And even as a non-owner, mm. I found some of his kind of uh, the profligate nature of his finishing, I found extremely frustrating. And he doesn't necessarily fill me with confidence when he like lines up or if he has a one-on-one. And if I'm paying, even if I'm paying like north of kind of eight and a half million for for a player i want to be confident that they can finish a one-on-one and i know that sounds really simple to say but it's kind of just the way i approach fpl and whether or not he can cover salah i i think that's a massive uh a massive discrepancy both in terms of player quality and points potential mm. i think i think you're probably like more likely to have a closer comparison when you look at like foden to someone like kdb or someone like harland I think their point, or actually, let's just say Foden and KDB, because Haaland's a different animal, really. I think their points total is likely to be closer than um, than Darwin and Salah. Okay, I, mean, I still I still think that given the amount of chances that he gets, the points potential uh, points is probably one that is worth mentioning. Like, yes, you may be a bit of a naysayer, especially if you see him as an equine uh, animal. But I mean, the, the guy still does, the guy is still sit for non-pen XG overall this season. Like, it's the, the movement is great. It's just the finishing is, is a, you know, it's, it's terrible. We could, could not hit a barn door. And I don't know if you're old enough to remember like, Drogba when he first came to the Premier League. Um, but Darwin does remind me of the early days of Drogba a bit. Uh, a lot of misses, cha- a lot of missed chances, lots of falling over. I remember you used to watch Drogba at uni and be like, "Oh no, poor Diddy! He's, he's been he's been floored again by uh, being tapped on the shoulder, and he was offside the whole time." But you, you see how he eventually morphed. It's very much about he's in the sort of the embryonic phase of where he could go in terms of you know, his development. I think there definitely is a player in there, especially with the movement. Um, and I, I know, I, I kind of see it being like a real pathway for him. He either becomes Drogba Mark II or something like that, or he becomes Timo Werner. I think that, that that's kind of where he goes really there. It really is kind of a two-horse race in terms of his eventual output. But you know, where will the finish, finishing post be, do you think? I mean, are, are you kind of writing off uh, Darwin altogether? I think certainly for now, given the other forward, from an FPL perspective, the other forward options that present themselves that kind of Martial, Mitrovic, who we've already spoken about, maybe even Eddie Nketiah, who who certainly showed more of a uh, finishing and forwards instinct against West Ham than uh, than Darwin Nunez did. And then there is the kind of unknown to chuck into the equation of what does the uh, apparently imminent signing of Cody Gakpo mean for Darwin Nunez? I mean, Certainly, if if I were the Uruguayan, it wouldn't fill me with a huge amount of confidence to see a, a hotly tipped um, young attacker be signed um, in in the January window after I only joined the uh, Liverpool club in the summer. So yeah, I think I think for now there are just better value options out there um, than than Darwin, and I certainly think there are better value options in the Liverpool team than him. Yeah, I mean, given the Mitchell situation and the probably probable need to cover a double in two week two game weeks time, um, I think it, there is a semblance of thinking that Darwin's already kind of running his final furlong for me in the, in the next game, and he could be taken the, to the glue factory uh, in favour of Mitrovic um, next week. 
Um, so definitely it's one that I can see people getting very frustrated by already. I mean, the last game against Southampton uh, before the break, fantastic. You know, got a brace. Um, everything went his way that day. So I, I'm willing to give him another shot. It's just how that goes. It's either a shot and he stays or it's a shotgun to the head and he leaves. We just need to see how that goes. Our friend Alan said on the Slack earlier, by the way, uh, that Darwin is just Haulam with less luck. <laughs> what, are, what are your views on this? Um, I mean, I think to imply Holland is lucky is probably doing his talent a little bit of a disservice. Um, yeah, I've, uh, perhaps I, I can't. I don't even know what to what to make of that. To be perfectly honest, I think I think we saw tonight tonight referring to the Leeds game. Holland certainly had, I would say, two clear chances where. 99% of the time this season we would have expected him to score yeah. and perhaps like you say maybe the narrative difference between the wider perception of the two um, if certainly there was a one-on-one I think where Holland shot basically straight of Meslier's knee um, and if Darwin Nunez did that perhaps the uh, the discussion around him is is completely different I suppose the big thing for me is Holland's service is much more uh much more multifaceted and I think much more consistent than what Holland has been getting so far this season. I think the yeah. support cast as you as you often like to term it is is much um or is of a higher quality for Holland than it is for Nunez. Certainly. But I guess this leads me to the final question. I mean I I've mentioned three five two a couple of times. Um, and obviously you've got Mitro, you've got Darwin, Martial and Ketter, etc. Versus the midfield maestros. And what struck me a little bit this week, because I said right at the top, we had so many players who are in the mix scoring well. And I just wonder whether we're going to see a reversion to midfield that we always seem to see a, a kind of as the season gets to its tail end or a return to kind of flexibility. Because I, mean, I, I was thinking about this earlier on. And I just feel the midfield is so packed at the moment with all manner of viable options and fitting in the others around the top 20 places or so in other positions is, is, is quite easy to do. So you know, Hall and Kane and Trippier are in the top 10 of other positions. The rest are midfielders. You've got in the top 20-ish, Almiron, Salah, KDB, Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli, Trossard, uh, Maddy, who's currently crocked. Uh, Rodrigo, Foden, and then you've got Rashford a little bit later on. Um, so you're talking 11, 11 viable midfielders, 12 if you had him mount ahead of the double game week, and also Kulisevsky at, at Spurs. So you've got a baker's dozen then. And of course, around half of them as well are team's talisman. And fitting that selection into a team where people have got four spots at the moment due to how Andreas Pereira at Fulham is being viewed as a gift... Um, and should be kept at all costs. Uh, that begins to me to be a source of, as I spoke about earlier on, a frontier where you can think a little bit about challenging the template, especially if you say next week, get rid of Darwin for Mitro in the 3 by 2 like I might well, might, might well do. Now, I know we're not saying that data is particularly trustworthy, but the third strike of this year has been underwhelming thus far. Um, Kane and Haaland are at the top. Uh, if you did go with... Um, Payne and Haaland, uh, like you have done, and fair play. Um, but most people did go for the kind of, you know, the combo, the mid and forwards. And therefore, you'd have, you know, one of Tony or Mitro as kind of the second striker. Other than that, 
know, the days of the forwards vying for our attention has increasingly receded year on year, as I've mentioned several times in this podcast. So I, mean, I think it's really interesting just to think about this very quickly about structure going forward. It's only, it's only come to mind because I mentioned Lucy being obsessed with it um, and maybe one that I'll we'll return to in future. Uh, but, you know, could this be something that's worth looking at a little bit going forward? Because I just kind of looked at Andres Pereira and how people were kind of shaping things around to make sure that he's always there because he's a gift at 4.6 and, and kind of thinking, oh, hang on, that's, that's a point to attack. And hey, Sam Greenwood at Leeds, 4.2, got an assist and was on, across all of the uh, across all of the set pieces. Um, hey, he's poo, but at least it's, he's a good poo, a valuable poo. And yeah, with all of those midfielders going at him, could, the, could this be something to watch uh, as a kind of a, a short sort of navel gaze future projection uh, end point? I certainly think so. And I suppose a lot of the midfield options is some are, because there are so many of them, each of them individually has a certain element of gamble about them, I think. Like if you're going to go, as you have done, doubling up on the Arsenal midfield, although they have performed well, thus far this season, you are sort of hedging your bets on the fact that they're going to be able to continue to perform during this slightly trickier spell of fixtures. Perhaps when you're going for someone like Rashford, you're projecting forward based off more recent performances and thinking, okay, they're going to be able to uh, perform um, well for the value that they have. Someone like Almiron almost feels like a, a given at this stage. And then, like you say, there are a litany of other midfielders almost to the point where you don't necessarily even need to have someone like a Pereira in your team. You can put together a very, very decent uh, five-man midfield and still have Haaland and then one of the kind of six and a half to seven and a half million forwards pretty easily now. There seems to be a lot of value and a lot of intriguing and enticing options in that midfield at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not really so much about continuing to perform and being wedded to those players. Obviously, if they are performing, you're going to keep them. But it's more about using that breadth of possible options to your advantage. It feels like there's a lot more players within the midfield slot that you can play around with depending on things like fixtures or quote-unquote quote unquote, showing form. And you can be a lot more flexible with that slot, especially if, you know, say, as I said earlier on, with my defence being quite fixed, say you've got Kepa, I've got Ramsdale, whatever, and then you've got the dependable players like Robertson, like Trippier, like Cancelo, whatever, and, and say you end up with one of Haw with Haaland, who's probably going to be most people's teams, and Kane, or maybe one of Mitrovic, or something like that. You can focus all that mid that kind of transfer activity on your midfield, barring injuries and stuff. And maybe that would be an interesting thing to see um, going forward. But it, it just struck me, really, when I was watching it, especially with Arsenal, loads of people kind of saying, oh, can we triple up an Arsenal midfield? It reminded me of Liverpool um, quite a few years back when people had Lana, Coutinho and Firmino. Um, it's just one of those things that really kind of came to mind for me that how many midfield options there are and whether it is something that's worth kind of bearing in mind and being open to as we move forward. Although, you know, admittedly, with double game week coming up, um, it's one of those things that probably may be something that evolves going forward rather than something which is going to be particularly relevant immediately. But hey, it's one of those things uh, which was in, of interest to me uh, watching and uh, hearing reactions to the game which has gone. 
So, uh, transfers and captains. Uh, do we even need to mention captains anymore? Probably not, Adam. Um, but transfers and also plans for game week 19, because I'm probably not going to be doing a pod uh, on New Year's Day just because I have prior engagements with my other half. Any ideas for this week and any ideas for game week 19? Um, I know, obviously, asking you to plan uh, two weeks in advance with not knowing what happened last uh, next week is, is obviously uh, one of those things is quite a remote possibility and know what you're going to be doing. Um, but anything come to mind or any sort of um, ideas, schemes of what you may do? Schemes makes it sound a little bit more sinister than it than it probably is. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think this week I'm probably going to roll their aren't sort of any major issues in my side I've, I've not uh not had any injuries Kyle Walker uh not starting is one I will look at a little bit in the week but the tight turnaround makes it sort of unrealistic especially from uh from Guardiola that will get anything uh even approaching definitive on his uh likelihood of playing looking forward to the the game week after obviously Fulham players will be front of mind. And as I mentioned earlier, Martial is looking like, or he certainly was the spot I had earmarked to go uh, for Mitrovic. And whether or not I go through with that will sort of depend on how United um, how United look this week. Uh, I think they've got Wolves. Um, and also on sort of how how Chelsea themselves look defensively without Reese James because I do I do think Mitrovic against the Chelsea defense without Reese James and the instability in general that that will cause them uh could certainly be an, an avenue for points yeah Martial to Mitrovic for you obviously depending on the yellow card situation seems ideal the one thing that for you is Kane's also on four yellow cards. <laughs> a lot of a lot of finger crossing uh, where you're concerned uh, with uh, all of those uh, forwards teetering on the brink. Apart from Erling, um, yeah, interesting. Okay, uh, I'm definitely joining you on rolling this week, and I will spend. I've got no Fulham and no Chelsea, so I'll be spending New Year's Day whilst engaged uh, with my other half, and uh, not literally engaged, but you know, doing <laughs> things with my other half, and wondering what the I do with my two free transfers. And I've basically decided, Adam, to leave all doors open. The issue is, is I now have so many potential roads that I need maybe more information. And then maybe I'll have even more sliding doors uh, when it comes to making decisions. Because a, a few things I could do, I could get Mitrovic and make it 3 4 3 for a short while and go against what I said, but, you know, needs must. I could go from Darwin to Mitrovic give up on the, the Darwin experiment and evolve my team beyond him. I could get a goalkeeper transfer <laughs> and do Ramsdale to Kepa. You know, I love a goalkeeper transfer. I could get Mount in midfield for Saka and follow up what I was saying about being open about changing midfielders. Or I could say, and I'm sure this is not what I'm going to do, I could say, hey, you know what? It's double game week, but it's not a good one. I'm not going to be sucking into this and not bother with it. Um. I think I just need to see where I go uh, with all of this. I, I just simply don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if I end up doing Darwin to Mitrovic and doing kind of, you know, Saka to Mount, something like that, and captaining uh, Mitrovic. I, I, I think I probably prefer him actually slightly um, over a, 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 a Chelsea midfielder for the double game week, but I mean, we'll have to see. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it's just one of those, isn't it? Where roll and see. I think if you have got a James play, a James sort of character to remove those runs, Adam was saying, get rid of him. I was saying kind of roll with it if you can. 
Uh, but either way, um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what people do, um, especially with a very, very, very short window of consideration uh, ahead of the further uh, game week uh, before the double. Well, thanks for joining me, Adam. I, I think that's your lot. Uh, hopefully that was useful. Uh, and our final pod of 2022. Uh, thanks so much for stepping in, Adam. It's been very good chat- chatting to you uh, over the course of the last hour. It, it's been a pleasure as always, Tom, and I'm I'm glad I could uh, could leave the listeners on a high for 2022. Ah, excellent. We were. Who got the assist? Uh, you can find me, Tom, on Twitter at WGCA underscore FBL. You can find Lucy at Lucy Heinitz with two Ts. The plan from now on is that there's no pod for game week 19. I'm out on New Year's Day and I won't have the time, to be honest. And, you know, I, I'd rather just do no job than do a half-assed one. To uh, I just don't think it's worth anyone's time. Uh, so I'm just going to leave it be. Um, and uh, on the 5th of January, uh, Lucy and me will be back uh, It'll be mid game week 20 at that uh, mid game week 19 at that point previewing game week 20 it will be obviously before the second game double game week uh the the last game double game week uh, fulham and chelsea but it'll be after the, after the chelsea and man city game on the thursday and i am in hong kong uh, from mid january until late january so i'll be missing game week 20 uh, the pop for that However, I will be editing it, unfortunately. Uh, that's just the way it goes. Uh, sorry, Game Week 21, um, I will be missing that, but I'll be editing it, unfortunately, remotely. Uh, Nick is kindly stepping in uh, for me, and Lucy will be on that with him too. A normal service will resume on my return to the UK for Game Week 22. Ooh, we hope we sister you. Now, Happy New Year. Many thanks for lending us your ears in 2022, and I will speak to you again in 2023. Happy New Year. Take care. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.